This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program here Monday to Friday, starting at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. Glad to have you aboard. Coming up at the uh, bottom of the hour, we'll get on the Nashville Predators page with Robbie Stanley, uh, one half of Robbie and Rex Road on 102.5 The Game in Nashville, also correspondent for NHL.com. It is the Nashville Predators versus the New Jersey Devils. Jack Hughes yesterday saying, let me just grab the quote here for you. When we get the saves, it's much easier to win. Like, you know, he's just trying to be positive about Nico Dawes, but still, given the state of goaltending in New Jersey over the past couple of years, you know where that comment's going to go. Meantime, joining us from the rink in Toronto, uh, Scotiabank Arena, he is Elliot Friedman uh, from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. It is the Leafs and the St. Louis Blues. Elliot, game one without Morgan Riley for Toronto. Uh, the hearing this afternoon, the inevitable suspension. I know we're all just sort of splitting hairs here on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Uh, before I get there, like this story, going back to Saturday, has taken a lot of bizarre turns, and it almost seems like this is a national story. Like, I know the Maple Leafs are a sort of national team, and whatever happens in Toronto reverberates all over Canada, but, like, I was on CBC Morning Live, like Heather Hiscox, this well, morning, yeah. because this has turned into a, a... Well, it's a national story. Like, this is... This, this story talks about violence and code and, 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 and danger... And, you know, two Canadian teams and a heated rivalry. Like, this one has really captured the attention, not just of hockey fans, not just of Leafs fans, not just of Sens fans, but this, I I can't speak stateside, but in Canada, like, why has this one taken off like wildfire? Like, of course, it's on Hockey Night in Canada, so everybody's watching. But, like, what do you think the really sticky part of the story is? Because it's it's almost become like it's off off the hockey headline pages, you know? Well, I, I do think the leave thing is a, is a huge part of it. Um, you know, one of my one of my buddies is a huge leave fan. He texted me this morning and he goes, he read my story today. And he goes, have you ever written a story on a suspension of another player beside a Maple Leaf? And I and I laughed and I just said to him, you know, my archive is linked to my social media pages. Like, go look. Cause we, and he goes, you never have, have you? And I laugh. I said, yes, I, I have. Just go look. And uh, But it, it just shows you, like, the absolute craziness of this. It's completely wild. Um, I think it's the Leafs. I think it's the fact it happened on the hockey night stage. Um, yeah. I think the, the social media reaction, like, social media is not the real world, Jeff, but, you know, like, yep. what percentage of people have Twitter accounts? Like, 25 but 98% of media does. So we get caught in our own bubble where we're like, well, we're all seeing this, so everybody must be seeing this. But look, it's the Leafs, right. it's the Sanders, it was Saturday night, it was hockey night in Canada. It's a lot of social media anger. Uh, yeah, I'm sure some of it is the code. Like, I don't get caught up in the code stuff about this. Like, I, I got to tell you, like, I've seen people get angrier about less egregious. And not even that this was that egregious, but I've seen people get uh, angrier at something that happened in like intramural basketball in university that was nowhere <laughs> near as wild as what Greg did in that game. So like, I think competition when, when people compete at a high level or compete at something that matters to them, 
they have those kinds of reactions. And I think, like, like I, I remember playing an intramural basketball game at Western where a guy, we were, we were winning, and uh, a, a, one, of, one, of, one of my teammates got fouled, and he didn't like the foul, and he whipped the ball at another guy, at the guy who fouled him. And I was mm-hmm. like, Jesus, like, what that? Like, I didn't think it deserved that. And, you know, as you can imagine, but, you know, I was going to defend my own teammate, and, and carnage ensued. Like, when people compete at a, at a high level in a game that matters to them, this stuff happens. And I think everybody can identify with that. So you're at the uh, rink today for the St. Louis Blues and Toronto Maple Leaf skates. Uh, this has to be the topic uh, around oh, the yeah. arena. How is everybody feeling about this? Like, I'm sure you talk to people from a lot of different corners, whether it's, you know, colleagues, whether it's people from the Maple Leafs, people from the Blues, players, uh, etc. What's the what's the general vibe there today? What's the word on the street? Like, Phil Hartman and Saturday Night Live. Um, you know, I think... Uh, <laughs> Look, I like I, I think I, I I my real sense is is that it's like the old line you you hope for the best but prepare for the worst. Like I think the Maple Leafs are hoping. Look, we've talked about this a bit, Jeff, and I wrote about it today. You cannot find a lot of examples where an in-person hearing was called and the suspension ended yeah. up being less than six games. Like I found two. Yeah, and so and one was four, and the other was five. So, like, I think it's I think the Maple Leafs are hoping they can talk this one down, but I think they're preparing for the fact that they can't. Um, and that that's I think what everybody's kind of looking at here is I, uh, you know, once the in-person hearing gets called, you expect that this is going to be six games. So I think anything they get less than that, uh, they're going to be pretty happy with. But I expect for them to argue it very passionately, and uh, I expect yeah. that they will do what they can to say that this should not be like a six-game suspension. Uh, I was going to say, one of the questions I had for you is, what do you consider to be a win in this one for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Because all you can do is try to mitigate the damage. So anything... F- uh, Five, four. five is a massive four. win. Four is a massive win. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think if they get it down to four, it's 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 a massive win for them. Like I think, I don't know how they could be like if if you if you get it down to four, you just start thanking your deity for for getting you in that situation. You you um you wrote about this one uh, a little bit in, in your piece about uh, Morgan Riley, and that is the idea of precedent. And we opened up this conversation by talking about this happening on the biggest stage. This happens on Hockey yep. Night in Canada, Saturday night. Everybody has seen it. Everybody has weighed in, either uh, on social media or to their dog on a walk. Everybody's got a thought about this one, what it means. Is there any chance, considering everybody has an interest for whatever reason in this suspension. And I do believe that some people just watch sports to be outraged, and those people are already They're ready to be outraged, just ready to hit send on the outrage tweets. Do you think, Elliot, in any way the NHL might be looking at this, the Department of Player Safety, and saying, this is our chance to set a new precedent for this type of behavior? I have wondered about that. Um, I think it's a very good question. Um, 
I think that's kind of like the one thing that I, I really haven't explored um, uh, that that may be what we're talking about here is changing the precedent from uh, what we were used to in the past. Like the, the thing I really don't, I, I really feel that the league doesn't like about this is that it happened after the play was over. And yep. I, I think that they do want to create a situation where there's an understanding that after the play, like whistle to whistle is one thing. And if you take a look at the hardest cross-checking suspensions, they, they happen during play. Um, like Perron's was, well, actually, you know what? I should, I should double check that. I can't remember if the play was still going or he did it after. Um, but like they're, they're very clear about, um, they want it to, they want play to be whistle to whistle. They don't want injuries after the play is over. So I do think that that point you make is a very legitimate point. Yes. So the the other thing that I've wondered about, and like this has popped up all over social media, um, like almost right away Saturday night, you look at trending topics. Again, I agree. Twitter is not the ultimate arbitrator, and this isn't the the reflection of society. But right away, Dale Hunter starts to, uh, trending, and Dale Hunter has been trending since Saturday oh. night, off and on. Yeah. And it's and it's it's about the Pierre Turgeon hit in '87. Um, I've used the Dave Brown, Thomas Sandstrom uh, example of that cross check back in '87. Uh, Philadelphia Flyers, New York Rangers, and what, one of the things that I think people have wondered about was, you know, you go back to that era, and maybe the answer is, well, that was that era, '93, '87, two major suspensions. Like these are double-digit suspensions. Brown was 15, and uh, you know, Dale Dale Hunter is 20. Um, why is it so different now? Like, was that is this a case of? general managers don't want to see the 20 game suspensions and the 15 game suspensions anymore or is there something that we're missing like i i don't like comparing generation to generation because every generation has the standards for suspensions but i think a lot of people yeah. wonder like well why was brown sands from 15 games and this one we're saying that five or six is going to be a massive suspension well i i think for a couple of reasons um Number one, I, I, I just in general don't know how much you can compare era to era. But number two, like, there were significant injuries there. And I know there are some people who argue, they say, well, it shouldn't matter. It should matter just the act. But that's mm-hmm. kind of not the way it works in life. Like, if you commit a crime in life, the severity goes up for the penalty by the amount of damage or injury that's incurred, right? So, yep. uh, like, yep. that's the way the, that's the way the courts work. Like, Sandstrom, if I remember correctly, he had a broken jaw after that, didn't he? I will check that. I believe you're right, but let me check that. Yeah, so Sandstrom had a broken jaw, and Turgeon missed six playoff games. And when he came back, he was not the same because he'd been he'd suffered a pretty significant injury. So when you ask me what the difference is, you know, Ridley Gregg was back at practice on Monday. So I'm kind of like, what, there's your difference, is that the results aren't the same. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, going back to 87, uh, do, do, do no broken jaw, no concussion on that one. I mean, he had, he was hospitalized oh. overnight, had to be, uh, which is, which is weird. Uh, Ranger spokesman saying the hospital said no post concussion condition and no fractured jaw. Oh, okay. Do you miss any games? I have but to that, remember. Uh, he he must have. Brown got a match for deliberate to injure yeah. and was ejected. Brian O'Neill was executive VP in the NHL at that point. Uh, he he must have missed games. I, I can't believe that he didn't miss games. Though the one thing that I that I that I wanted to lead into here was every collection of general managers have their own way how they want the game either officiated or disciplined. And I'm not sure that GMs now, unlike then, have an appetite for the 15 and 20 game suspensions as long as, I agree with that. you know, the offense, I agree it, with the, that. the offense isn't extremely egregious. Like the days of the 20 games for Hunter and the 15 for, for Dave Brown, they don't want that anymore. Five or six games is enough. I know we like to, everyone likes to have a, a whack at the George Peros pinata. What does Brian Burke always say? It's the worst job to have in the NHL, the head of the Department of Player Safety, because every day you wake up and everybody thinks you're an idiot. Every, no one agrees with you. Everyone thinks you get everything wrong, and that's just the nature of the position. Brian Burke did that, and he knows what it feels like. But I, I'm firmly of the belief Well, Shanahan did too, General remember? Remember when Shanahan he, he came sure in, did. he was like eight games here, six games here, ten yeah. games here. And? And then all of a sudden. And what happened? It, it clawed <laughs> back. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was that I remember Brendan, that. I think, that well. that I, I think that, it was, like, I think that is true. I, you know, but look, like, we've seen, like, you know, Wilson got 20 games reduced on appeal. Weidman got 20 games Reduced on appeal. I think Patrick Coletta got 10 games. Um, uh, I, I do think the, uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm almost, I almost can't wait for the suspension to come down so we can stop talking about this. But I do think, as I wrote today, that the retaliation slash revenge, even though it wasn't for a teammate who was injured, and the fact it was yeah. after the play, I do think those are the big factors here. And look, like you know what? Once Peros, once Peros rules, Jeff. Once he rules, yeah. Like you know, it's very rare that. I mean, Spezza is one of the few cases it got reduced from six to four, and it was after he missed four games. Spezza is one of the few cases where a, a suspension got decreased on appeal, and you hadn't missed already the uh, entire amount of games as it is. So that's the other thing you're right. that's challenging about this is that the appeal process takes time. I think it went back to circling back to the Shanahan example. I think it was when he suspended Brendan Smith for the hit on Ben Smith. It was remainder of regular remainder of exhibition season and then five games. And that was, I think, when everybody kind of went like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where are we going with these suspensions? This is kind of getting a little too uncomfortable uh, for a lot of general managers. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll stand by here now, and we'll see where this goes with, uh, with, with Morgan Riley and this, uh, and this now video call uh, with the uh, NHL Department of Player Safety and the Toronto Maple Leafs number one defenseman I want to get your thoughts on on one of our favorites like every year at the um, at the NHL 
uh, Players Tour, the American and Canadian one in, in Vegas. We love sitting down with Jack Hughes. He's always a great interview. Always says what's on his mind, isn't shy, tells great stories, super charismatic. Uh, yesterday, after the New Jersey Devils beat the Seattle Kraken 3-1, to uh, he was interviewed on the ice, played the clip earlier where he said, when we get the saves, it's much easier to win. Now, I think what he was trying to do was compliment Nico Dawes. But when you have a goalie situation, the likes of which New Jersey has had for the past few seasons, you know how that is going to get interpreted. Your thoughts on the New Jersey Devils. They'll play Nashville tonight. And the, uh, the comment by Jack Hughes, when we get the saves, it's much easier to win. Well, you can't call him a liar. Um, that's that's nope. definitely the truth. You know, you, you know, basically the first offense against libel, uh, Jeff, is truth. And he's telling the truth yeah. on that one. Um, he's not wrong. Uh, you know, like, I, I don't have any, like, again, like, my whole thing is we rip hockey players for saying they're boring. If you're going to criticize them about that, you can't rip them for telling the truth. Now, the goalies may not like hearing it, but, you know, I, I'm not going to take an issue with it. Um, look, I, I, I think all the players on the Devils, if they didn't know about it before, and I think some of them did, they all know now that they were pretty close to getting Jacob Markstrom. And so, mm-hmm. like at the very least, those players know the Devils are engaged on trying to get a goalie. And I think it's likely one with term. You know, I've, I've written and said I'm not sure that uh, a guy without term makes any sense for them. Um, but I don't mm. think they've given up on the playoffs yet. So they may not agree with my thinking there, but I do believe that their preference is to get a goalie with term. So I don't think that uh, we're this is over yet. And I, and I don't think that, uh, put it this way, I, the, the facts being what they are, I don't think the organization disagrees with Hughes on this one. Yes, um, I, I wondered off the top of the show about Jacob Markstrom, who, by the way, was outstanding last night in that game with the New York Rangers on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Both him and Shosturkin were fantastic in that game. I want to get to the Rangers here in a, in a, in a second with you here. Um, but also the other goaltender that you and I have talked about before that I wonder about, uh, and he plays with Nashville, and you've made the point that Yaroslav Askarov is is right there and ready for that next jump, much like Dustin Wolf is with the Calgary Flames. That's why we'll marry the situation of Jacob Markstrom with that of UC Soros. And teams that need net minding include the Kings and the Canes and, 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 and. I know we've talked about him before, but if Markstrom is in play, does that mean that Soros is in play as well? Well, I just think there's been enough noise out there to believe that Nashville is considering it. Like they're not, you know, they're not writing off the idea that they would they would do it. Um, you know, uh, Nashville is looking for offense. That that's the thing for them. They're they're looking for a high end offensive player. And you know, this is just me talking out of my uh, just just spitballing. And I, uh, but like I've wondered about a guy like Natchez, and you know, like I, I was doing my Nashville radio hit last week and. That was the first guy uh, out of my head, is that because I think Carolina is going to have a, ch- a challenge getting an extension done with him 
after this season. Yeah. So, like, that, that to me is one that just on paper, you, you I could look at it and says it's a need for both teams. Not saying it's going to happen, but it makes sense. Look, if New Jersey's looking at Markstrom, they're probably looking at guys like Soros too. L.A. has got to be another team looking at that. So, like, basically what's happening here is, at the very least, the Predators are sending signals that this is not something they're going to refuse to discuss. And what that says to me is that they're looking at long-term because Soros needs an extension after this season, and they're not sure whatever it's going to cost that they're going to do. So, um you know, I, I think that that's kind of where we are here is his name is out there. If they want offensive players in return, um, but it's going to cost you. Like, like I'll say this, like one guy who se- would seem to make some sense for me for Nashville in L.A. is is Kaliev, right? Like he's not playing. Yep. Nashville uh, already took a player off waivers. Pajimo from uh, L.A. this year. Like, that makes sense to me, that maybe that's the kind of guy that the Predators would look at. But you're not making a Soros for Kaliev trade. Like, there's a lot more to it than that. Yes. Um, there are some uh, some young defensemen on, the, uh, on that Los Angeles Kings squad that if that ends up going that way, I would imagine would be part of that deal. Um, sticking with Nashville, r- really quick, um, and I do wonder about the Edmonton Oilers, and, and here's how I'll phrase it. Um, players will always stump for other players. We should bring this guy in. I played with him here. He's great. You'll love him. Do you think the yeah, Oilers, yeah. because earlier on this season they were, do you think that they're still in the goalie market? And I can't help but thinking that, you know, I don't know that, you know, Connor McDavid goes to Ken Holland and says, go get this guy, or Leon Dreisaitl says that, or in this case, Matthias Ekholm, who would know UC Soros, obviously, going back to the Nashville days. Yeah, you know what? I I don't necessarily think that's wrong, but you've already got Skinner. I mean, I, I mean, I guess you know you could always say you can never have great enough goaltending, but are you doing that, Jeff? Like to me, I don't I think know. you're going to get. I, I, I just I, I I just don't know if they feel comfortable enough that Skinner is the guy. Because listen, this is beginning of the season was cup or bust, and that's back for the Edmonton Oilers, despite the last couple yeah, of games. Yeah. I. I don't know if they see Stu Skinner as that guy in this go-for-it year. I don't know. I just wonder. I don't know. He's just won a lot of games in a row, Jeff. Tough crowd. I know it's tough crowd, but Stanley Cup, right? We'll see. I, I just that's yeah, one thing you know that I do what? still. I, the other, the other thing about. too is like multiple things that they can do. I think they're going to look for another forward. I think they're considering what mm-hmm. they're going to do on their blue line. Um, you know, like, are you are you going to do goaltending too? Like, how do you prioritize all this stuff? Like, and, you know, to me right now, I'm not convinced that goaltending, like, Pickard at least has given them a chance. He's been very good. Yeah. So, like, to me, do you need goaltending as much as you need a D. Do you need goaltending as much as you need another forward? So how are you prioritizing this? 
what what I wonder about there is what are the prices? That's that's and the that's one thing that I wonder too. about. We would love we we would love to do this with our blue line, but we can't pay this price. But we can pay this price for a goaltender, or we want to do this for our bottom six, but we don't like that price. But we can do this for a goaltender. You know what I mean? Like I think so. Obviously, there's a lot of variables to all of it. I just can't help but wonder if it all comes down to what the cost of all of it is. Yeah, I think that's fair. True, like. Like, what's the cost-benefit analysis? Like, what you're going to have to pay, do you really feel you're getting bang for what you're paying? Uh, Okay, Um, sticking with goaltenders, one more goaltending point here. Shesterkin versus Markstrom. That was awesome last night. Like, it's a 1-0 game. Jimmy Vesey scores the uh, the empty netter. Uh, so essentially, it's a it's a one nothing game. Could have been two nothing because Shostakin tried to score in the empty net, which was beautiful. And the like, Elliot, they're chanting his name uh, at MSG again. They love him. He played great yeah. against the Hawks. He played awesome last night against the Calgary Flames. Uh, I think it was you that said that Jonathan Quick was the new number one in New York, and it wasn't me that said that. And boy, uh, you sure are eating your words today, Elliot Friedman. What are you talking about? I like how many commercials <laughs> do you want of me this year? <laughs> that I was me that was saying that Jonathan the Quick one is the uh, new number one. Everybody knows that. <laughs> he looked great last night, Freeze. Like if the Rangers remember we he, talked he about All Star and his it is all-star performance, and it's like, well, I wonder if that can help turn the season around for him. Like, good on Jonathan Quick. And it did seem like for the longest time that that team was really comfortable playing in front of Jonathan Quick. But I don't know, man. Watching the Chicago game and watching the Calgary game, I know it's only two games here, but, man, it looks like Shosturkin is back. And if he is back, look out, New York Rangers. Yeah, I you know, I agree with that. And, I, and to me, he's still their number one goalie. Um, you know, I didn't watch last night uh, the full game. I, I took my son to see uh, Wemby, and uh, who's very impressive, by the nice. way. And but but I watched that. like the highlights and a few of the shifts, and those goalies were both great. Um, you know, like to me, when I when I look at that division, um, I, I I think that is why the Rangers are the best team because they have the best goaling uh, goaltending. Like, if you were to take a look mm. at, like, who's the second best goalie in that conference, in that division, excuse me? It's probably Jari. Sorokin. Sorokin. Oh, Sorokin yeah, you're right. Excuse me. You're right. Excuse me. You're right. Soro- I just do that. It's, it's, I, I made a mistake. It's Shesterkin, it's Sorokin, and then it's Jari. Um, and, and, but, like, there's a lot of teams there that they aren't even in the same stratosphere of what the Rangers have. And, uh, yeah. and that's why, that's why I think they're the best team, but that guy's got to be going. And hopefully for the Rangers and their fans last night was okay. He's going again. He looks great. Uh, okay. Let me, let me end on this one. Um, Alex Petrangelo, 1,000 games last night, albeit in a losing yep. cause. Uh, the wild win, 5-3. Joel Erickson neck with a pair of goals. Matt Boldy was great. Marco Rossi was great. Brock Faber was great. Like, all of a sudden, now the Minnesota Wild are starting to string together a couple of wins. Uh, beating the Penguins on Friday was a huge emotional game for the team and for Marc-Andre Fleury as well. Um, but just a thought on on Alex Petrangelo here. You know, he's won the Stanley Cup a couple of times. 
Uh, yeah. He's a rock. I thought his his post his post game comments afterwards about how you know what he's going to think about it. Well, he's going to think about the loss after game number one thousand. Like he's still very much a player, and it's game in, and you know I'm I'm living you know game by game, and I feel the way that I felt after the end of my very last game. So I get all that. Just to have a a thought on Alex Petrangelo one thousand games. Brad Marchand's hitting one thousand games tonight in the Tampa Boston game, but a, a thought on Petrangelo one thousand games in the NHL. Well, he's going to the Hall of Fame, right? Two Stanley Cups, maybe oh, more yeah. to come. Oh, Olymp- yeah. Olympic gold medal, World Cup gold medal. Um, you know, also like you know the fact that it, you know, the him leaving St. Louis changed the course of that franchise. Like that's some of the things that I often think about when it comes to a player's impact. When when you leave a team, what happens to it? And St. Louis is battling for the playoffs right now. They've they've put themselves back in a position. But there's no question that Petrangelo leaving St. Louis changed that franchise, mm-hmm. altered the course of that franchise. And the other thing, too, is you'll remember some of the interviews we've done with them, Jeff. You know, like he's one of those guys in the league when players have questions, they go to him and they're like, Alex, what do you think? And I, yeah. I really like that about him like he's his peers really think highly of him and not just as a player but in a way to live life kind of way i i like mm-hmm. there's a lot there there's there's a lot there there is um congratulations to alex petrangelo uh 1000 games in the nhl uh, okay we'll uh, we'll leave it there we'll stay tuned to see what the number is for morgan riley and we tuned in uh, tonight for the Maple Leafs facing off against the St. Louis Blues. One of 11 games on the board around the NHL. Uh, Igor Shosturkin is back, and the NHL, after all-star weird bye weeks last week, uh, is very much back as well with 11 games this evening. Thanks so much for each. We'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, buddy. Take care.